there's this common thing that happens among all bands, among all music types, cutting across time and genre, and it goes like this. Sometimes, somehow, the musicians find each other, uh, and they've got different notes to play, different strengths, and then they begin creating together. They begin creating this great sound, which is original and amazing. And it, and it resonates. It begins to get a following. People start appreciating what only can happen when, when these particular musicians come together to, to play music in this particular way. But at some point, the magic is gone. It fades. And things get toxic. And things get inconvenient. And eventually, things stop. Things break up. All the fans are heartbroken, but there's this rumor that there's a reunion tour at some point. They keep that rumor alive. If any of you love music, you know this is true, regardless of genre, regardless of time. Um, I wish that that story were not also true of the church. I wish it didn't cut across time and across denomination, but it does. It was almost true for the church of Corinth, except grace and truth and love intervened through Paul. But it's been true for so many churches. Jesus brings together his body, and they figure out a way to love each other in a way that blesses whatever neighborhood or city that church meets in. They begin to create beautiful things together in the name of Jesus with the power of the Spirit. And then things get inconvenient. And things get hard. Things get toxic. The magic is gone. The luster is gone. And in some cases, things go really badly. And there is a breakup within the church. Let us pray that the amazing unity that the church in Chicago is experiencing right now across denominations does not experience this kind of breakup. And let us pray that this is never true for our church, Emmanuel Anglican. Just a few years ago, we didn't exist. <laughs> I'm so grateful for this congregation. I'm so grateful for the people that the Lord has brought, Serge included. Hopefully we'll see him again soon. I've been astonished, quite frankly, because it's been a miracle. I know of so many different church planting stories and uh, Situations out there where maybe some people tried really hard and had great intentions, and it just all the work in the world can't create a church unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. And I've watched the Lord build a congregation of His own will, of His own power, through all kinds of different people, and it is, it is marvelous in our eyes because the Lord has done it. In the last few weeks, we've been on a journey um, through 1 Corinthians. It's called, This is My Body. And, and we've been discovering who we are. We're still new, and we're discovering who we are. If we're going to be the body of Christ, we've got to know what that means. So we've discovered that the very life of Jesus Christ is among us. The very life of Jesus is, is ours. And it's a supernatural life. It's a supernatural power that we always draw on every week, every day, every time we interact with one another. It surpasses, it's the kind of bond that surpasses the bond of friends. 
it goes way beyond the, the principle of homogeneity, where we just, birds of a feather flock together. It's more than that. It's more than just being nice, more than just good intentions. It's the very power of Jesus in our midst. We've been challenged in this series, in this journey, to move from just passive recipients um, to, to active service. Where we're actually using our gifts, we're, we're on that vulnerable road of discovering our spiritual gifts and then beginning to exercise those spiritual gifts. We've been on a journey of renouncing the self-fulfilling prophecy of I don't belong here and never will. And embrace the calling that we have actually to be the body of Christ to one another, even if we feel left out or even if we feel hurt. We've been on a journey where we've been made aware of people we're tempted to ignore, tempted to blow off, tempted to just not even see, to actually begin to receive the gifts that the Lord wants to give us through their ministry to us. We're only a few days away from Lent. Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday. And there are beautiful and exciting things ahead for us in this 40-day period of prayer and fasting and, and being yoked to the person of Jesus. Eventually walking through Holy Week together, repenting and rejoicing as we go. We'll serve together. We'll create together. We'll build each other up. We'll welcome the stranger into our homes and, and into this high school and we'll walk with them and, and, and we'll see them become family because that's what happens in the body of Christ. Jesus will be among us. He'll be making himself tangible in our midst, personal as we interact with one another. He'll make himself visible to our city because of the way we interact with one another as the body of Christ. You know, it's possible for us to start making beautiful music together for a while and then end up at each other's throats. Do you know that that's possible? It's possible for us to to bless our neighbors together by the way we operate before we break their hearts by the way we separate. This is a challenge to every church and we need insights from 1 Corinthians from the Lord so that we don't repeat history. Let's not repeat history. We need the grace of God which has brought us together and which can keep us together. Our text this morning is going to help us see two different songs that we are not meant to play, metaphorically speaking, if we were a band. If we tried playing these songs, if we, if we let these songs be played in our midst, it would be ruinous for our unity. Not only that, this text will help us see the song and the style that is beautiful, for us and lasting for us that it fits us and we we need to understand what songs we're not supposed to play and we need to know the best song that we have the only song really that we have to play together so let's talk about the first song it's called the song of comparison the song of comparison the song of comparison is a competition between Members of a band who both want visibility and status. The song of comparison is more of a duel than a duet. 
Each member of the band is saying with their instrument, with their voice, my contribution matters the most. It's my voice, it's my riffs, it's my talent that's really making this band. And if we're really going to, to be the band we're supposed to be, you need to give me, you need to turn up my, my mic. Because I need more visibility than I'm getting right now. If I don't get the role that I want, I quit. I'm going to go start my own thing. I'm going to have my, a solo record, and you're all going to weep tears of pain. This is American Idol, right? Eliminate, eliminate, eliminate until I'm the only one left standing. This is America. This is how we roll. Everybody wants status, platform, visibility, and is in competition. This is Corinth. This was breaking the church of Corinth apart. They were playing the song of comparison. Read with me in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The church planted Corinth was playing the right instruments in the wrong way. High status people were were trying to speak with eloquence and spiritual power, but they were posturing. They were not loving. And it was breaking the church apart. They were playing the song of, I'm speaking in angelic language. And until you join me, I'm better than you. They weren't making music. They were making noise. They were making noisy noise. They were making clangy noise. Years ago when I lived in Rogers Park, I was trying, night after night, I would try to go to bed. But there was some garage band totally in love with their music playing in some garage I could never find. (laughs) And the music was bad and it was keeping me up. Sometimes we're like that garage band We love our sound so much that we're willing to keep people up from what they need so that they can come to appreciate our brilliance. Sure, they get mad at us. Sure, they may call the police. Maybe I did that a few times. (laughs) All it is is clangy noise, noisy noise. And it will break the church apart. Let's look at verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers... And if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but if I have not love, I am nothing. You know what the Corinthian church also loved? They loved theology. They did. They loved theology, the right theology. They loved a good sermon. They loved a good lecture. They were, by and large, a pretty insightful group. But they were doing theology wrong. They were doing sermons wrong. They were doing lectures wrong. They were doing teaching wrong. Because they were playing the song of, just so you know, I know. That was their version of the song of comparison. Just so you know, I know. Oh, just so you know, I know that God is one. And that idols don't mean anything at all. And so there's nothing wrong with eating meat in the temple. I know you have a weak conscience. You precious thing, bless your little heart. Why don't you come to the temple with me? 
and let's all enjoy a meal together. Thanks to me blowing your mind with new theology that's going to free you. Uh, just so you know, I know the creed. Um, it contains special insights that gives me and you personal freedom in your life. Um, just so you know, I'm not ignorant. Um, maybe you are. Uh, just so you know, I know theology. I'm not a fundamentalist, but maybe you are, and that's a problem. Uh, just so you know, um, I've gone through several paradigm shifts in my thinking about God, which has left me in a higher state intellectually and spiritually. I've had these breakthrough moments. I've had these aha moments through my reading, through my experience. I finally see the world differently. You may see it as a child. I see it as an adult. That's because I've grown up into the highest and purest and best theology. Just so you know, I know. They had really impressive instruments. Not only could they speak with the tongues of men and angels, they understood God in a, what they understood to be a, a much better way. They had prophetic powers. They had understandings of mysteries and knowledge, even faith. But they were playing the song of comparison with all those instruments. It would only be a matter of time before that band imploded. That's the path they were on. Verse 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You know, this might be the most challenging lines in the whole chapter for us. You know why? Because we take joy in being generous. We do. And I, I see this church exercising generosity all the time. Um, I see it in ways that are formal. I see it in ways that are informal. It, it blesses me. It's a sign of the Spirit moving in our church. What's more, many of us are drawn to deliver up our bodies to meet the needs of the city. We really are. We're very sacrificial for the needs of our city. And, and Paul seems to be referencing martyrdom here, which is being burned up and killed for the sake of a higher cause. In this case, the gospel of Jesus. Burned up for Jesus. Many of our fellow Christians around the world face this reality today. They do. Even this last week, Christians martyred around the world. But here's where it hits home for us. We aren't being burned up for our faith. But many of us are being burned out for our faith. We're pouring out every last ounce of energy. And in some cases, we are over-functioning because that's how we feel close to God. It's how we feel special. When you see, it, well, let me just say, there's something so good in our willingness to give of ourselves, to pour out our time and our energy and our very life for Jesus. It's what we're called to. But here's the danger in burning out for God. When you see someone in the body of Christ who's well-rested, <laughs> does love or resentment spring out of your heart if you're burned out for God? If you see someone who's just drinking in the love of God and they're well-rested and you're not, you might be tempted to just a little bit start to compare yourself. 
Who's doing more, me or them? Would this church, would this mission, would this special initiative exist without me feeling like I feel right now? Exhaustion for God can just be one more way to be special within the body of Christ. It can just be one more way to play the song of comparison in the body of Christ. Emmanuel, let us forever renounce the song of comparison. Let us forever renounce this song. When we start playing it, and we will, let us confess it as a sin and repent and turn. Let us not compare our church with other churches in this city to see who's doing a better job. Let us not compare ourselves with each other. This leads only to either pride or shame, and neither pride or shame are from God. Both lead to division. The song of comparison is not our song. The song of comparison is not our jam. There's another song we should know about, and it's the song of resentment. Um, Last month, uh, the famed musician Glenn Frey died. Um, lead guitar, he was a lead guitarist for the Eagles, um, uh, which is a talented, a talented uh, a band popular in the late 70s, before many of you were twinkling your father's eye. Um, you know, they were known for songs like Taking It Easy and Peaceful Easy Feeling, which was ironic because nobody was taking it easy in the Eagles. And among the Eagles, no one had a peaceful, easy feeling. Everyone was fighting in that band. In fact, one night they were playing a sold-out show in Long Beach, California. The animosity backstage, they were fighting about all kinds of things, but it began to spill out into their dynamic onstage. In between songs, they were, they were actually trading insults and threats. And, and their mics were hot. And the sound technicians actually were trying to turn their mic down to figure out how do we... How do we hide this this fight that's happening on the stage? And at one point, one of the musicians said to another one in the mic, three more, three more, right before one of their songs started. And you know what he meant by three more? Three more songs before the show is over and I'm going to beat you up backstage. And they're there playing their songs, three more. The other musician got in a limo and left forever. They never played together again, except for the reunion tour. (laughs) When a church is free from playing the song of resentment as we go about being the body of Christ, it looks like verses 4 through 6. This is what it looks like when we're not playing the song. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You know what Paul is not saying? Paul is not saying, be really nice to each other. Be exceptionally polite at all costs. That's the American way. Being exceptionally polite and putting on an appearance of being nice. Um, that breaks down in an environment of actual family relationships. 
that breaks down. You can be polite on the surface, but once you become the body of Christ, you can't be polite anymore. It doesn't get you, it doesn't get you to, to become the body of Christ. Um, you can be really nice and really polite with people that you don't trust. You just put on the smile, and you've all got the smile. Oh, thank you. I've got the smile. If I don't trust someone, I can be polite with them all day long. But when someone becomes family, when they become family, when they are as close to you as an elbow or a forearm, you need more than nice and polite. You do. People in your spiritual family will hurt you. Fellow members of the body of Christ will anger you. They will let you down. And in some cases, it's your fault. And in some cases, it's their fault. It's going to happen. The song of resentment may sound really good to you at some point. Maybe you won't say it into the mic, but you'll be saying in your heart, three more. Just you wait. I'm going to settle the score. The Lord will settle the score. You'll cry tears of pain. And it's all going to be made right. It's the song of resentment. What are the warning signs for the church that they may be playing the song of resentment? For the eagles and for many churches, the warning signs begin in the heart. They begin in the heart. Um, That person just blew me off again. Come on. Or, you know, I was willing to serve in that ministry, but I never got chosen. Or, how dare she tell me how to live my life? I was just starting to open up, just starting to trust, and you dare quote a Bible verse at me? When we become, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, resentful, resentful, that means that anger has no healthy process to externalize, and so it boils inside. It just boils inside. The gas just gets turned up and up and up, and our anger boils, and the lid's on top because we're trying to be polite, but there's resentment boiling inside. It begins in the heart. It begins as resentment. And then the warning signs show up in interpersonal interactions. Communication becomes, as Paul says, irritable. Not just resentful, but irritable. And at sometimes it becomes rude. Or maybe there's no communication and the silence is intended to be hurtful. You don't answer the email, text, phone call, or handshake on purpose. Because silence is saying, how does it feel? And are you ever going to reach out and truly redeem yourself? That's the song of resentment. It starts in the heart. It starts to bleed and boil into interpersonal and intercommunication. And then finally, you're breathing threats into the microphone. Or you're breathing threats into the email. And it's the last time that small group ever meets. And it's the last time you're ever stepping foot inside that church. In fact, you hope the whole thing falls apart. It would feel kind of vindicating. You might even rejoice at wrongdoing, as Paul says, when the people that you resent get themselves in trouble. You know, do you ever get tired of an overplayed song? It was a song that's kind of catchy at first. And it was like, oh, yeah. Um, and then after the first dozen times, it's like, ah. Uh, and then it's like the bane of your existence. 
Because everyone plays that song all the time. Oh, you're just now getting into that song? (laughs) You know what? I think our friends and neighbors are sick and tired of the song of resentment. I think they're so tired of it. I think maybe it was interesting at first, but I think they're so tired of it. They hear it played at work. They hear it played in their families. And they hear it played in social circles, at parties, and on the news. They hear it played when they hear about any kind of news about the city of Chicago and the police department and Chicago Teachers Union and tar- charter schools and public schools and the principals and the, who's fighting who again? It, this goes all the way back to Haymarket Square. It's a legacy of our city to play the song of resentment as loud as we can. But I think our friends and neighbors are ready to hear a new song. I mean, for what it's worth, I think our friends and neighbors are sick and tired of hearing about the song of comparison. They're so tired. People taking credit for, for, for their work. Now, every day they, they, they interact with people who are putting their best foot forward, putting their ideal self forward, trying to look better than they are. Every day they're scrolling through the humble brags and the curated pictures that are too perfect. Every day they're made to feel inadequate because they're not marketing themselves. They're not putting their energy towards that. The song of comparison is an overplayed, overproduced song. Aren't you tired of hearing that song? Friends, we've got a song that will never get old. We do. We have a song that will never get old. It's got so many different possible names. But for our purposes this morning, we might just call this song a love supreme. Unlike all the other songs, this song gets better with the passage of time. All three instruments in A Love Supreme are in verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. This is clearly a jazz trio. Love is the lead instrument. Love makes it possible for hope and for faith to do their thing. Love navigates the music in such a way that they can shine. They work together seamlessly rather than competing. For instance, verse 7. Let's look at faith, hope, and love interact. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now what is this saying? It's not saying that a love supreme is naive. A love supreme is not naive. It's visionary and sacrificial. When we were isolated because of our selfishness and pride, a love supreme looked on us with compassion and saw who we were meant to become. And so Jesus Christ left his joy and took on our suffering. He bore all things. Jesus Christ walked out of heaven into our hell. He believed all things. Jesus Christ left his protection and took on our rejection. He endured all things because that's what a love supreme does. A love supreme reconciled us to God and to each other. A love supreme carries on in the church through everything that we do. Again, this is not politeness and this is not niceness. We bear all things. We believe all things. We hope all things. We endure all things for the sake of the other. Because we have a vision 
for who they're becoming, who we are becoming. We have Jesus' vision for, the, for what the body of Christ is meant to be. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. A love supreme is a song that gets better with time. Yes, we play it awkwardly now, don't we? We play it imperfectly now, don't we? The song of the gospel, we don't always get it right. We try. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's real, but it feels awkward. We play this song with hope because it's going to get better over time. It will never end. This song will never end. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. And I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. This song will not stop playing until you are fully loved and fully known. This song will not stop playing until I am fully loved and fully known. This song will not stop playing until it brings us into the fullness of the reality of love. A love supreme will play now and will continue. That day is coming. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Because love is the power of the new age that is broken into the present, as Anthony Thistleton noted. Love is the body of Christ, broken for you. The greatest of these is love. Love poured out from the Father, displayed through the Son, poured out through the Holy Spirit. Love is the free extension of the self for the well-being of the, of the other. And we have all of it that we need in Jesus Christ to be the body of Christ. We receive the love supreme. We pass on the love supreme. And on and on it goes until we are fully loved and fully known, not in this lifetime, but in the age to come which has broken into this age. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. But as for knowledge, it will pass away. When the body of Christ plays the love supreme, nobody is a diva. Everyone improvises in such a way that makes the other person sound good. Our contribution makes their contribution possible and vice versa. There's no formula for this song. It's improvisational jazz and everybody is invited to play. Here's where we start. We start by listening to the music, one note at a time. It is so important for us to begin to receive and take in the music of the gospel of Jesus. We hear this music on Sunday morning, but it's also why we pray the daily office because it gets us into the scriptures and it allows us to take in the notes of the love of God in Christ. This is where we begin to invite the music to warm up the places that are resentful, that are love-hungry, that feel the need for special attention. The places in our hearts that are tempted to bend towards comparison and resentment need to hear the notes of a love supreme in Jesus Christ.
ask for the Holy Spirit to play this song for you this morning. Ask the Holy Spirit to play this song for you as you depart. Ask the Lord to open your ears so that you can hear the music of the gospel again and again and again because it will not stop. It starts by listening to the music. You know, it also starts with an imperfect participation in the music. It starts with just a few notes. Maybe it doesn't come out like you want it to come out. That's okay. The rest of the musicians will cover you. When you have an opportunity, and we want to give you opportunities here, begin to play the music of a love supreme. Join a small group. Join a service team. You'll have an opportunity later today at our ministry fair. Enter into relationship. Let something that you have, time, money, resources, a skill, begin to flow out. Not to earn your cred, but to play the song that will never end. There are people listening. There are people that want to hear the beautiful music. They're not ready to play it yet, but they want to hear it. Our neighborhood wants to hear it. Our city wants to hear it. Our family wants to hear it. Who doesn't want to hear this song? Who doesn't want to witness the gospel played out among real people who love one another in ways that are supernatural? Who doesn't want to see heaven breaking into earth? Who doesn't want to experience the new age being broken into the, to the old age and making all things new? Who doesn't want to hear that song? Who doesn't want to participate in that reality? That's our song. That's our reality. That's our music. There's no formula, but there's an invitation. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, the greatest of these is love. You need love, and I need love. And we have all the love we need in the body of Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand now as we confess our faith. In the words of the 19th century.